Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Mel McLaughlin. Welcome to No Turning Back, the Tokyo 2020 podcast. It's been a long five-year wait, but the Tokyo Olympic and Paralympic Games are finally happening and there is no turning back now. In this series, I'll be meeting some of the athletes going for gold in Tokyo and sharing their stories. Born in Marseille but raised in Penrith, Jess Fox was destined for a life on the water. Pretty much every Jess introduction goes into her family's canoeing background. There's the mum who won bronze in Atlanta and is now her coach, the dad who won multiple world championship medals and the sister who doubles as her training partner. But this really is a special family. Between them, Miriam, Richard and Noemi have helped an extraordinary young Aussie flourish. She is already officially, on paper, the greatest ever paddler of all time. And this 27-year-old isn't done yet. Jess. Thanks so much for joining us. I know it's such a busy time. I'm sure it's a really exciting time for you. You're finally in Tokyo. First things first, because uh, I'm, well, I think everyone's really curious. Can you tell us about just the actual process of when you landed in Tokyo, even the flight over from, from Europe, what that was like, and then the airport? I think it starts even before the flight. You know, we've got to do a test two weeks before, and then 96 hours before, and then 72 hours before the flight. And then um, there's a lot of paperwork. There's an app or two apps you have to download. And uh, once we, we landed in Tokyo, it was a four and a half hour process in the airport before we even got onto the bus to the, the hotel where we're in quarantine. So it's kind of, um, yeah, a bit of a long process, but I think we were all just so excited to, to get here and, and the Japanese volunteers and, and staff were super pleasant and, and really lovely. So um, yeah, it was, it was smooth, but it was definitely long. You need, I think you need patience, but apparently that's what the Olympics is, you know, hurry up and, and wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not wrong. And we'll get to that. It's been a pretty decent wait for, for everyone, particularly you guys. So you, you mentioned the Japanese volunteers. What's the feeling like? Because obviously all we do is read reports and see things on the news. What, what's your take on, on the feel of people there and, and, you know, what the mood is given what's going on? Yeah, I mean, obviously reading the reports, it, it does sound a bit negative, but um, my experience so far has been really positive. You know, even on the flight, we flew with um, Japan Airlines and the crew were super excited uh, getting us into Tokyo. I think we might have been one of the first Olympic groups through. So, um, yeah, the staff were really, uh, really excited. And then landing, people were excited. They're always waving at us. So, uh, I mean, if we also but we haven't been out into the public so we don't really know what that feeling is like um but i think so far it's been positive and what about you're in the village now yeah no so we're uh, in a hotel, we're in a bubble system at the moment with our sport. So we're able to do a, a pre-games training camp. Um, we can only leave our hotel room to go eat food or to go to the venue and get on a, um, a venue bus. So we've got allocated set times that we have to eat, that we have to 
uh, get on the bus. So it's it's quite strict, but at least we do have that freedom of being able to leave the hotel to, to get on the water. And it's super exciting to, to be here finally, to see the signage everywhere and, um, you know, to have our accreditation pass and, and to get some of our uniform too. So yeah, no, very exciting. Yeah, it's really cool just even seeing you in, you know, the official get up at the moment. Um, it just really gets you in the mood, doesn't it? Now, like, this is going into your third Olympic Games, but we won't talk about the five years in between <laughs> the two Olympics. But what, what about just that one year last year from, I guess, lockdown and that uh, announcement of the postponement? I know you're there now, but uh, how do you reflect on what you did? We know everyone had to do things from home and all that sort of stuff. When you look back at it now, what is it a, a dream? Yeah, I remember that feeling of uh, hearing about the postponement and thinking, oh, my goodness, it's a whole year away now. Um, we were in the middle and in, in the thick of the pandemic and, the, and I think back to it and it feels so far away. It feels like this year has gone so quickly and, um, you know, that was really my mindset around the lockdown and around, you know, the postponement. It was just taking it week by week, um, day by day, session by session, whatever we could do. If there was a lockdown, we would just adapt and do what we could. So, yeah, I was in my swimming pool. I was in um, the backyard doing my my circuits and my pull-ups and my squats. So I think everyone's been affected by the pandemic and I know, um, you know, Australia is currently as well. So we've just had to get on with it and to finally be here now, it's super exciting. Anyone listening at home that hasn't looked up, I guess, your social media and seen the shots, you, you mentioned your swimming pool quite casually, but I don't know how you, where did that idea come from? And I, I just don't know how you did that because this is the elite level and somehow you made that work. I'm just so glad the pool was really clean for all those photos because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was just one of those, oh, well, I've just done a little gym session. Let's just jump in the pool because why not? You know, like the, my kayak was there. Um, I've been using it as a weight for the pull-ups and so I just jumped in the pool and, and did a few turns. But my pool's quite small. It's like seven metres and only two and a half metres wide, I think. So it, it, it was quite challenging to turn it and I did put a few dents in the lining so <laughs> apologies to mum and dad for that but yeah I, I, again I saw some amazing images come out of that lockdown from athletes all over the world. Yeah I can't imagine I know with the Aussie team I'm sure it was the same uh, around the world there was you know more demand than ever with from Olympic athletes Aussie Olympic athletes for help with the mental health side of things and I guess you know only people like yourself can relate to getting your brain focused and wired for last year and then how do you, how you rewire it and then make things work from lockdown where Kate Campbell's knocking on a next door neighbor's door and says can I use your pool hi I'm a world she probably didn't say I'm a world champion <laughs> but um <laughs> can I just you know go for a swim next door you know like I, I can't imagine what you guys have gone through physically and mentally in that regard. Yeah, I think, like I said before, everyone around the world had some sort of disruption to their training. And for me, it, it was really about, okay, an extra year, what does that look like? So I really worked on my strength training. I really worked on building that up because it gave me an extra year to get stronger. And I've never been as strong as I am now. So that's one of the, the big positives to come out of it. But I think being able to, to shift the focus is on the positives and on, you know, what can I do with what I have is way better than going, okay, well, you know, we can't train on our whitewater venue for two months, but overseas I know that they're competing, they're training, they're traveling, you know, in Europe, you know, they were a little bit disrupted, but they they kind of got back to normal fairly quickly. So it's always better to just focus on, on what I can control than on what my competitors are doing. Yeah, more on that in a second, but 
just, you know, you locked down, you did all this stuff at home and then, oh, I don't know, there were some floods as well. What are you thinking? <laughs> what are you thinking at that at that point? <laughs> oh, yeah, that that was uh, earlier in the year, the Nepean River, well, a lot of New South Wales um, flooded and yeah, I remember sitting at home, we had all this raid and we were thinking, no, surely, surely it's not going to be that bad. No, absolutely. I'm in Sydney as well going, no, and it just did not stop. It didn't stop and it flooded our whole venue and so we thought, okay, well, let's go back to the lockdown plan and, and, you know, just just work with it, roll with it. And so our venue was flooded but we got on a flight to Tassie. We managed to have an opportunity to, to paddle on a on a whitewater course in Tassie that doesn't run very often. So that was amazing. And when we got home, literally the worst thing that could have happened was to have a week of warm weather and sun. And we had a big bloom of blue-green algae in the lake. So we couldn't couldn't paddle for another week or two, actually. So that coincided with the New Zealand bubble opening up, though. So we seized that opportunity and we were able to get to New Zealand and and, uh, paddle with our Kiwi friends who we didn't get to see for a long time. So... Yeah, again, looking at the positives and, um, you know, luckily we weren't too affected by the floods. I know a lot of people uh, had a lot more damage than, than we did. So, yeah, it was just devastating seeing all that footage. Yeah, it really was uh, quite horrific for, for a lot of people. Um, so, okay, lockdown into floods and then into New Zealand. A lot of people I've spoken to have talked about their fears in terms of the ahead of the Olympics because they haven't been able to do much competing internationally anyway. So you go over to Europe and just nail it. Did you have the same kind of concerns that, you know, the uncertainty beforehand, the I don't know where I'm at before, you know, you actually got in the water with the the other elite level uh, athletes? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, having been away from the competition for over a year, I've never had that break. And the biggest thing about this Olympics was not being tied to a certain preparation. We had to stay so adaptable and flexible. And, and you know, previously with London and with Rio, I knew what I was doing pretty much every day a year out. So whereas this time I didn't know what I was doing next week. So I think staying adaptable was important. And when the opportunity came to be able to go overseas and do the competitions, the World Cup events, I think for me it was super important. And I really wanted to see where I was at compared to um, my competitors. And, yeah, lining up that first World Cup, it was the heats and I literally felt like I was going to throw up. I was like, <laughs> so nervous. Um, it's been so long, but just being around everyone again um, was great. Just being in that atmosphere of a, of a competition and, and start line and hearing the countdown clock and um, wearing a race bib, just all those little things you can't really replicate in training. And so for me, it was the best possible training to get to Tokyo. So also I think being in the environment, being in a COVID environment, obviously, there was a bit of heightened anxiety. You know, we were really careful compared to a lot of other um, countries who have been living with it a bit more than we have. Um, we were really in our own little bubble, the Australians. So I think being in that, you know, mask up situation for those couple of weeks has been good in the lead up to Tokyo as well. Can you believe that you you came away with two gold medals? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a great uh, a great World Cup campaign for me. I was rearing to go really excited to be there and put down some really good race runs so I was really pleased with that I have good speed I think sort of showed the good work we put in over the last year 
Um, and yeah, it was good to see my competitors and, and see who's improved, who's doing really well. And I know the field is, is really strong coming into these Olympics. So to come away with, with those medals was, was really positive. Not every race run was, was perfect and I did make a few errors, but I think I've taken some good learning from, from those races. Yeah, no, amazing. And who are the ones to look out for, you reckon, in Tokyo? Um, the Germans are really mm. good. Germans, Czechs, um, Slovenian, the <laughs> British. I mean, I, I keep saying this, but every everyone who makes that Olympic final has a chance at the gold medal because at the Olympics anything can happen. And so, um, yeah, I, you can't count anyone out. Um, I think there's there's a lot of hunger and a lot of excitement just being here and and uh, it's, it's interesting now where we're in this bubble and we're all training together. Just, just seeing everyone in the venue is really cool. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So when do you get to actually have a look? Have you seen, you would have seen the course, maybe not firsthand yet or not? Yes. So yesterday was our first day. Um, we got to see the venue. There's signage everywhere. There's a huge grandstand. Um, the course has actually changed since the last time I was here in 2019. So it was, yeah, awesome, super exciting. We could see all the nation flags were up, all the team tents were up. It's a completely transformed venue compared to 2019 when we came for the test event. So, um, yeah, it was really cool. We paddled twice. It's really physical, but yeah, awesome to be back and loving it. Uh, did I see something of you in Paris, over in France? You've been on that course ahead of that Olympics? Yeah. Because I was just... looking, I was like, oh my God. Okay, so she sorted for that one. <laughs> and she's not in Tokyo yet. That's sweet. Yeah, I'm just getting ready for the next one, three years, three <laughs> years away. <laughs> yeah, so the Paris course was built uh, two years ago, I think, or 2019, I think. So yeah, it, it's, it's already open and running. Uh, the French team trained there in, in Vers-sur-Marne, which is quite close to Paris, about 30 minutes away. And, yeah, it was cool to be there. I think for me it was it was a really good lead into Tokyo because the course is a little bit similar. Um, it's an artificial course. It, it feels like an Olympic venue as well. So it was, it was good to get a good, good look at that course and get the feel for it. And, yeah, I'm, I'm also uh, – I was born in France, so it felt a little bit like home before heading into Tokyo. Yeah, that's awesome. More on that in just a moment. But what about the fact that K1 and C1 both at the Olympic Games now for women, how special is that for you? Very special. I think Tokyo obviously being my third Olympics is special in itself, but the opportunity to compete in two events and to be part of that inaugural C1 event. Um, The first time we'll have gender equality in our sports. So it's really, really cool to be part of that first group of women who'll take the start line and um, you know, I've said it before, but it's super special just looking back on all the women who fought so hard to get to this moment and who don't get the opportunity to compete. Um, but, you know, all of us in that C1 event at the Olympics will be um, will be remembering that process and we were all a part of it. So it's very special. 
Yeah, so special. Just for people who don't know, can you tell us the um, the difference, the, the fundamental differences uh, between the two events? So the kayak event is the one I competed in, in in London and Rio. So you're in a seated position in the boat with a double-bladed paddle, like this. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and the canoe event, uh, you're in a kneeling position with a single blade. So we, we still do the same course. It's just the craft that you know the equipment is different um and so that also means that the technique is different and the times are generally slower in the in the canoe as well oh well put thanks um and you just spoke so beautifully about gender equality and acknowledging the people before you although you've been there a long time as well i guess it must be extra special we know this in terms of these olympic games in the australian team as well there's um more women than or more females than ever we know times have changed and i've seen you many times over the years the you know the women's health awards women in sport awards everyone gets together and it's like people have been going on this course on this track for a very long time and it's not and i get this with you know in women in sport in media and you go yes we're doing this now and we we love it we feel so um privileged but people have been doing this for a really long time but what a special time to be involved oh of course and yeah the landscape is changing obviously um it, it's taken a long time and like you said there's been so many strong incredible pioneering women before us but yeah, they've left a legacy and, and, yeah, I've been part of that legacy in my sport and that's super special to now see in Australia the growth of, of the female athletes and the exposure of the female athletes that's increasing. Um, but in my sport, just seeing the little girls who are starting and for us it was always you start in K1 and maybe you'll do a little bit of C1 on the side. But now girls are just doing C1 or they're just starting in C1 because they have that opportunity. So, yeah, it's it's amazing to, to be part of that. And like you said, there's... 50, I think it'll be 52 or 53% of the Australian team are women this time. So that's amazing to see. And obviously the inclusion of the two flag bearers this time with one male, one female athlete, I think is, is amazing and a sign of, of the changing times. So I think Tokyo Olympics is, will be the most gender equal Olympics. I'm going to ask you about that. About that. What do you think of Patty and Kate being the flag bearers? I am thrilled uh i think they're the best aren't they they're just uh, great humans and i was also stoked because i i called it i was like i bet (laughs) patty mills and kate campbell um yeah two incredible athletes and remarkable leaders and i'm sure they'll do an incredible job leading the team out in tokyo and what about for trailblazers you are one yourself but do you look to your mum obviously we know it's very much a family affair for you guys but you know, your mum, well, being your mum and she's done what she's done in her career and, and she's a coach as well. Like how many female coaches are there around? Uh, there's a handful. Um, and at the Olympic Games, I think she's one of, uh, I'm going to say about five. There's, there's not that many um, female coaches on, on the tour. And I think, yeah, she's an incredible leader, an incredible role model, and she always has the time to to share her knowledge and her experience with other up-and-coming female coaches and to champion, you know, the women in, in our sport and, and to push for more women. Um, and I think it is, yeah, super special to have her on my team and, and to share this experience with her. She's quite brilliant, isn't she? Oh, yeah, she's she's uh, she's quite a character. She's, <laughs> she's the best. Um, but, yeah, I've been so blessed to have her as as mum and as my coach and yeah both my parents um dad who will be at home watching 
Um, yeah, he's also been a huge part of my journey and my younger sister, Noemi, as well, who's, who's my teammate and, and training partner. So obviously we can't have family and friends in Tokyo, but being able to have mum at least um, is really good, really special. I've got, well, grew up in a household of just sisters as well. And it's funny, I guess we kind of take for granted, you don't even know there's a difference um, until you're older. Do you know what I mean? Like you're raised in a household where it's normal and everyone's equal. And then when you get out of it, you get asked so many questions about, you know, women in sport or, you know, I I don't know if you, you probably experienced that a lot. And my my early answers were often, I I didn't know it was different to be, oh God, you you love these sports, you love football, you love the cricket or whatever. And you're like, oh, I didn't know that was a a weird thing, you know, back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why would it be different? You know, it's not, this is, this is just for men to watch this sport, not for women to watch and enjoy. And the same is true. I think, you know, when I love, um, I love hearing stories of, especially in my sport, when I get guys coming up to me and saying, oh, wow, that women's final was amazing. Or like you raced super well, we're analysing your race run for tomorrow. You know, it, it just shows that they do learn from the women. They do learn from us and they, they're watching us and, and learning from us too. And I think in the canoe event, especially the girls kind of, invented that we didn't invent but we really adopted the switching technique which is where you paddle on one side and swap to the other side because we didn't have the strength to really um, stay on that one side like the men traditionally have done but now we see more and more men switching because they've come to realize it's actually faster in some circumstances by watching us god i love hearing that <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> <laughs> no that's brilliant i saw a clip of you describing that and i was i was tired just listening to you and and yeah, it just yeah, you must be extremely fit. Well, we know you're extremely fit, but I'll we'll like, have to I, get I, you out there one day. I'll <laughs> we'll have to get you out on the water. <laughs> um, I'd love to take you up on that, but that will not end well for me. But I'll, I won't <laughs> say no. Were you on the water? Did I imagine this? Was it a while ago? Maybe last year with um, Kurt McGrath. That yes. happened, didn't it? That, yeah. that was unbelievable to to watch as well. And I was, you know, I found it really terrifying to watch as well. How how did that go? Oh, it was amazing. So Curtis McGraw, obviously one of our amazing Paralympic athletes in the canoe event. So he was gold medalist at the Rio Paralympic Games. And before his accident in Afghanistan, he actually had done a little bit of of paddling in New Zealand and on whitewater as well. And so I remember him telling me, I'd love to get down on the rapids. You know, one day we'll have to do that. And so it eventuated and he got into a plastic boat and obviously he's um, got prosthetics. So he had to take them off and we had to, you know, fit the boat out with foam to make sure he was um, locked in well. And it was amazing. You know, I don't know when the last time was that he paddled on white water, but he just picked it up so quickly. I was a little bit nervous at one point. He fell in, but he rolled back up, which is something. I saw it and I'm thinking how he must yeah, be so I- strong. A lot of us take years to learn that, you know, when we're younger um, and he hadn't paddled whitewater in, in ages, but remembered that. So, yeah, he was amazing. He did so well and it was amazing to share that moment with him, but it was super fun. Yeah, a great, yeah. a great moment. Oh, it was gripping footage again. I'm just going to plug it. More vision of you. If anyone hasn't seen it, have a look because, yeah, two amazing athletes doing their thing. Back to your family. Yeah, I've heard you, you say your mum's a character. I've heard your dad is as well. Has he managed to get a job at seven? Because I had a tip off, it was like, "Oh, can I just get a job there?" Did that? Did that? Did that happen? <laughs> I think he might be doing the commentary. Yeah, the commentary for the canoe slalom event. Um, so I'm glad I'm not at home 
listening to him and his commentary and I maybe won't see it as well. So yeah, I'll be on the water and, and he'll be doing the commentary um, for, the, for the kayaking. And, and That's the awesome though. Your dad's yeah. calling. Well, I, I guess for the uninitiated, your mum and dad are both, or like you said, your, your family, yeah. elite athletes. But uh, <laughs> I can just imagine, it's pretty awesome to think your dad will be calling stuff. It's, it's going to have to be, how do you be unbiased anyway? It's an individual event, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, he's pretty good. He's pretty good at being unbiased. I just, I think... Um, I think it'll be good for him to not be nervous in, in a way he'll be busy doing something else when I'll be racing. So that'll be good. But he's got, yeah, he's had amazing experience in the sport, obviously being a, a world champion and Olympian himself for Great Britain, um, but then coaching and and um, and then being a high performance manager. So, and now consulting. So he's got plenty of experience that he can, um, and knowledge about the sport that he can give to, to the commentary team for sure. Yeah, no, it's very cool. I can't wait to, to tune into that. And what about you, Sissy? You've already touched on her. I love seeing these, you know, close sibling relationships as well, which you two certainly are. I'm very, very supportive of each other. Yeah, for sure. She's my best friend and, and biggest cheerleader and um, biggest supporter, but also challenges me in training and pushes me and is and is a fierce competitor herself. It's just super hard that we only have one spot um, per event at the Olympic Games. So Unfortunately, we couldn't we couldn't share the experience together. But I think, um, yeah, she's been able to compete in the World Cups this year and, and is preparing for the World Champs later in the year. And she's had a, a great start to the season so far. So that was great to share that start, you know, the World Cups together. And um, yeah, she'll be she'll be cheering cheering me on. I'm sure from on the TV. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, do you reckon that'll change the one place, um, maybe ahead of Paris, perhaps? That um, would be a great, great yeah, thing to see I, you too. I'd I'd uh, I'd love for it to change. Unfortunately, it's it's quite hard to get extra quota places at the Olympic Games because of the tight numbers and obviously the addition of new sports in Paris as well. But we have a new event added to the program in Paris. It's, it's the Extreme Slalom event, and she she competes in that as well. So she's she's very good at that event. Um, so we might see her in that too in Paris. We'll see. Yeah, love the sound of that. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And you talk about how you were born in, in France and um, obviously it's a massive part of your life. Um, spending a lot of time in Europe. It's, you know, it sounds so glamorous and exotic. And also I'm from Sydney's West, which is also uh, where you live as well for at least some of the time. I want to know how special it is for you to um, know that there's a place called the Fox House. Can you explain what that is? <laughs> I think you're talking about my my home. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, yeah. we, no, we don't forget that. Yes, yes, <laughs> no, no, Fox House. Um, so uh, a couple of schools in, in Western Sydney, I'll give them a shout out, Ropes Crossing and Jordan Springs have, uh, you know, they're, they're newer schools, so they were picking names for their sport houses and I was lucky enough to be chosen as one of the, one of the houses. So there's a Fox House. Um, which is amazing. I've been out there to to see the kids and they've even got like a chant and, you know, they, they came out and watched one of my races 
in Penrith and they were cheering and, and chanting that sport house chant. So yeah, it's, it's amazing and really special to see. And I can't wait to go back and visit after the games. No, that's awesome. And he, like, I'm sure hopefully, I don't know how much access you guys get, or maybe you can tell us in terms of social media and things like that and what your approach is anyway when you're obviously in um, Olympics mode. What do you switch off? What do you not? What are you allowed to do? What are the rules? Yeah, there's quite a few rules in place. Um, obviously, we can't tag and, and um, do sponsored posts and things like that throughout the Olympics. It's quite strict. We, I'm not sure what we're allowed to film. I, I know in Rio we weren't allowed to film any of the village or the venues during the races um, because of the broadcasting rights. But in terms of socials, yeah, I, I do tend to go a bit more quiet on my social media. I still use it to sort of switch off, but instead of, you know, scrolling and, and seeing my competitors or anything else about the Olympics, I try and switch off and I'll be, you know, watching dog videos or something funny or <laughs> that kind of thing. Just just really easy, chill stuff. Do you have a dog? We we do. We've got a currently we've got a foster greyhound at home called Pink. Oh, cool. And yeah, greyhounds are. I never would have considered a greyhound, but they've they've just been. They're beautiful they're, animals. Really nice nature. Yeah. Beautiful dogs. So I'll give them a shout out if anyone wants to to foster or adopt a greyhound. They def, they definitely make great pets. Okay, so one question that we try and ask everyone um, is, what are you most looking forward to? Well, you've already landed. In in Tokyo, um, it could, could be anything. It could be about your event or, or anything at all. What do you what do you think you're most looking forward to? It's been such a long time coming. What's been in your head? It's really hard to just pick one, but I think in terms of keeping it simple for me, it is to just be sitting in that start line and ready to race. Like I I cannot wait to to finally be in that moment to finally get the chance to race. But I'm also really excited to get to the village on the 19th of July and and see other Australian team members and and finally get into that Australian Olympic team um, environment. Yeah, I'm looking forward to all of it. Uh, Well, you're getting me excited at that thought as well. Um, What what will your mum say to you? What does your mum say to you before, you know, the big stuff, the big races? We're pretty, um, we keep it simple and generally she'll, She'll give me a good pat on the back and she'll tell me, you know, you've done the work, keep it simple, do what you know how to do. Yeah, good advice, fair enough. Sometimes she might come and tell me, you know, watch out, this gate's low or this person just did this time or that sort of thing. But generally it's pretty simple and um, it's not a massive pump-up talk because I'll be pumped enough, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, I know everyone loves hearing from you and you look so, obviously so beautiful, big hair and, you know, the blue eyes that go really steely and scary in competitive mode, I've noticed. <laughs> yeah, this is my competitive face. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, it's, I don't really have, I mean, I'm generally a pretty smiling, bubbly person, but as soon as I am on that start line, I am pretty... Um, yeah, blue steel mode and, and focused and, and just staring down those gates that I have to go down. I didn't really want to sort of talk about medals, but you've got the silver and the bronze, but you're coming in, you know, with some pretty, in some very decent form. Is it, do you talk about gold for both? Is that your realistic expectation or is that not how you view it? Uh, I, you can't really call it an expectation because you, you can't expect to win or, or you, you can't have expectations around what you can't control. But I think it's the dream, you know, to be able to win two Olympic gold medals would be an absolute dream Olympic Games. Um, so it is what drives me. Uh, but I think for me, the goal and the expectation is just to be on that start line ready to 
do my best paddling and to put down runs that at the end of that finish line, I've given everything and I'm so proud that I've done a good run. Um, and then the result, I, I can't control that. I'll just have to wait and see what my competitors do. But hopefully if I put down those really good runs that I, I know I can do, it, it, it might be enough for that top step. And uh, some of the first-time Olympians I've chatted to have talked about the, the rings tattoo, the Olympic rings tattoo, that they're all eyeing off. Have, have you got that yet? No, I haven't. Um, Is it on the to-do list or not? I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> I remember after London, um, I just turned 18 and so I was like, yeah, I'll get the Olympic tattoo and I'll do it. And I never got around to it and it kind of got to 2014 and I was like, well, I can't really get it now just in case I don't make it to Rio. Like I, it was just a bit of an awkward situation. <laughs> I never got around to it. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe after Tokyo. It was just funny. When at Venderia Boy, the first thing I said, what are you most looking forward to? She said, the tattoo, the tattoo, the tattoo. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. So cool. All right. Well, thanks so much for chatting with us, really. I know it's, like, it's you know, you're there and you're competing very, very soon. You're in Tokyo. I can't imagine after such a long wait what that must mean to you. Keep smiling and enjoy the ride and we'll chat to you later. And good luck. Thank you so much, Mel. Hope to see you, see you here soon. Yes, can't wait. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to hear more incredible stories from our athletes going for gold at the Tokyo 2020 Games. You can see full coverage of the Tokyo 2020 Olympic and Paralympic Games on 7 and 7 Plus. <music>